Hey gang, it's Harold. I'm podcasting to you from the pandemic quarantine. In the interest of distracting myself and my gaming friends, I'm reaching out to some interesting people to ask them what they're doing game-wise. With such a big time dividend, I want to hear what they're playing, designing, or thinking about. No CNN, no CNBC, just games. My production obsession will have to be put on hold as I'm most interested in communicating with you rapidly and with some interesting content. This podcast documents a discussion I had with Ricardo Messini, an Italian wargamer, second-generation wargamer, and writer on wargames. Ricardo? Hello? Ricardo? Hello. Hi. How are you, my friend? I'm very, very fine. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Excellent. I'm uh, very excited to talk to you and, and, uh, yeah. and, and nice to, uh, nice to connect. <laughs> For me too. And I am very excited too. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, thank you. I, I, uh, I heard you on Dan Pencaldi's, mm-hmm. uh, video show with Frederick, uh, Serval. And I thought that, uh, you you were both so interesting that I would love to get you on the podcast. So thank you for uh, accommodating me. Well, thank you for for your invitation, and it, it is a, a real pleasure for me to to speak on your podcast. And I am a regular listener of of, of your podcast, and I find find it amazing, very 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 good stuff. So yes, I am quite excited at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're you're very kind. Um, and maybe I should uh, introduce a handful of ground rules, if you don't mind. Okay, fine. So, uh, as you know, since we're on this uh, quarantine lockdown, and I'm trying to create content that um, mm-hmm. is not about the issues of the day, and there are plenty of podcasts on the issues of the day. Uh, the rules are: first, no discussion of uh, medical conditions, uh, no discussions of politics, and no discussions. Uh, of um, what was the last one? No discussion of politics. No discussion. Fin- uh, financial issues. Yes, I think. yes, please. Yes, no <laughs> discussion. I am a regular listener of your podcast. I already know the rules. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful! Thanks so much for uh, for clarifying that for me. I, so um, no, no problem here. You know, me- medicine. I I already hear enough of it. Um, politics, uh, you are not really interested in Italian politics, believe me. Uh, <laughs> and about um, financial issues, I have to, to confess my almost complete ignorance about financial issues. So no problem, I'm fine with all the rules. <laughs> good, good news. Well, you know, we, we have a, a, our relationship has been built on war games, and that's a good place for us to start. Yeah. You know, we have one of those uh, modern relationships where we've never met and never talked until now, mm-hmm. but we see each other on um, on Twitter and Facebook a good bit. Yeah, right. Fa- uh, Facebook, I I read you on um, on the group for the podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and uh, also I have also heard. Uh, some of your interviews, and I've also used some of your material for my for my works. So I have to thank you because <laughs> you are mentioned. You're known here in Italy. <laughs> oh, that's that's great news. Now that can be either good or bad. So I'll be very careful. No, I... no, it's good. It's good. <laughs> okay, great, great. Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's such a treat. Uh, the social media. When you think back, um, you know, you're a younger man, but when I was younger and I played in the 1980s. Uh, we we were only able to share games with people that sat across the table from us, and and now we yes. have this delightful opportunity to share the games we're playing, our thoughts about games, uh, a video perhaps even of a game we're playing or someone else is playing, to thousands of people around the world. So it's a very exciting time versus what it was just a short period of time ago. Yeah. It- it's amazing. It's one of the greatest advantages that we have as uh, as world gamers today. I have to tell you, uh, what? Well, thank you for the young. But I am uh, 43 years old, 
and I play war games since I think I was six or seven. <laughs> you know, I I I um I learned to speak English thanks to to war games because I read uh, the old SPI rule books when I played the the games with my father. So um, that's great. <laughs> and I remember those times where it was very hard to to get someone to play and in italy it was also quite hard to get games to start with not so easy at least you had those magnificent stores where you had tens and hundreds of titles at your disposal while in italy there were very few stores and it was quite hard you had to mail order the titles to uh, from an importer and it took uh, months to just get uh, get an spi or an avalonial title and this was true i think until the 90s yeah wow and, and not to mention the expense, right, of, of buying those games. And the expense, and the expense, but the, the real difficulty was to know that there was a, a, a title in which you, you could be interested. Because it was not easy to know, okay, uh, this is the catalog, uh, uh, they made uh, a title about this battle or this historical event, and it was hard to just know that someone had made the title. Today I can go and, and read Bog and Geek or, uh, or a forum uh, or Consing Word or Facebook and find all the information I need, more than, more than, uh, than the information I need actually. Yes. So. Yes, and even even now there uh, inter there there are uh, uh, language interpretations of various rule books. Mm. Uh, so that's a fantastic step as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, there are actually, uh, but this is a um, quite a problem because uh, language can be quite a problem because it can be difficult for an Italian player. Not everybody yeah, uh, has had the um, misfortune of learning English through war games. <laughs> uh, and uh, so many have some trouble reading English. Uh, and, uh, but we, have, um, we are also having many good localized versions of uh, war games, of titles. And uh, the last I, I remember is a time of crisis where we got very lucky because the Italian publisher Ergo Ludo made an edition with the base game and the Age of Iron and Rust expansion together in one box. So we, uh, we were actually very lucky. We are also lucky because we have many good Italian publishers. And you should know because uh, some of them are quite well known uh, also in, in the United States and, and abroad. I think uh, Vento Nuovo with the Stalingrad Inferno and the Volga. Yes. And my dear friend uh, Sergio Schiavi with Radeschi's March, which is uh, first title, but uh, the Simula Edizioni, his publisher, is, uh, is going to do other titles. So, yeah, the relationship is uh, working very well both ways. Yes. Well, now you're making me want to order Italian war games and have them shipped to the United ah, States. <laughs> I can I can advise you on some titles. I can give you some titles. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Very good. That's great. What uh, What games do you remember from your early uh, years? What What are your What's your affection for in SPI? What are your favorite well, games? Well, for me, uh, SPI was war games. Uh, absolutely. Uh, my most beloved game, and I was actually very happy some months ago that I had the opportunity to speak with, uh, uh, to write directly uh, to Kevin Zucker, was uh, Napoleon's Last Battles. Ah. And it, because it was actually my very first war game, uh, because uh, it is also the game, uh, the favorite game of my father. Uh, now, I have to to give you a bit of a personal history here, Please. my father Sergio he, uh, has been one of the first war gamers here in Italy, and he wrote uh, probably the one of the first book, sure, uh, surely the first book uh, dedicated to mainstream to general public, not for specialists, about war games in history. And the name of this book was uh, La Guerra di Carta, Paper Wars. The book was published in uh, 1979. Uh, later on, he, he got to work for uh, a magazine called Per Gioco. I speak about that magazine in, on my YouTube channel, uh, vlog. 
and um, this means that uh, that in our house the there has always been there are always been walkings. Wow. I cannot remember a single moment of my life where I have no war games around me. <laughs> <laughs> so I loved, um, I loved Napoleon's Lost Battles, uh, Rifle and Saber, uh, the press tags, uh, and uh, all the, the great traditional Axe Encounters war games. Uh, oh, and also, not SPI, Heaven and Hill, Hubfront. Loved the game. Yes. Really, really, it was it, it was just fantastic. And then I had the games by a, an Italian publisher, international team of Marco Donadoni, and they were Zargos Lords, uh, Sectima Legio, Osterlitz, Landsknecht. Uh, they were great, uh, great games, great uh, experimental, innovative games. Um, Yom Kippur. Mm, great titles you can find it find them on on Bog and geek and you can find that they have wonderful graphic uh, amazing components so yes there are many many oh, and many strategy and tactics uh, so many war games i really i cannot remember them all <laughs> what a what a wonderful gift from your father though to share war games with you yeah 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 and we play regularly yeah. And uh, we came to write together about uh, about war games. We wrote uh, another book uh, uh, two years ago, just two years ago, uh, which was called uh, "Without uh, Too Much Fantasy: Paper Wars 2.0." And <laughs> this time, I wrote <laughs> the book together with him, and uh, also about war games, uh, but also about history. We are both members of the Italian Military History Society. We have wrote also books about military history and with some appendices about war games too uh, as instruments of historical research. Uh, so yes, war games are actually, well, it's a family business actually. Very <laughs> Italian, very Italian tradition. <laughs> yes, that's wonderful. That's, that's, uh, that's terrific. You, um, now, you know, in the United States, uh, one, of the, one of my joys is visiting uh, the battlefields of the American Revolution mm. and the American Civil War and and playing yeah. the associated games either there or before or after but it's just such a treat uh, you have that you have to have that same experience in Italy don't you well well actually it, it, it can be it's different I've been uh, I've been at Gettysburg Mm -hmm. I almost uh, broke my leg on the Devil's Den, so I really know, I know very well <laughs> what it means to, to go up the Devil's Den and later round top because I almost broke my, my knee on, the, on, on oh those places. Uh, I, I had a similar experience on Waterloo where, uh, where I was with a jeep, we were driving across the battlefield and the jeep uh, was stuck in the mud. So, uh, <laughs> so I, have, I have quite a tradition of, of living history, real living history when I visit the battlefield. But, you know, um, speak at what the great difference between Gettysburg and Waterloo is that in the United States, you have so much space. You can afford to uh, close a battlefield, to freeze it in time. Yes. Gettysburg is a national monument. I think it is a national park or something or something like that. It is. It's, uh, it's really, it's the pinnacle. It's something special here. Okay, yes. Uh, Waterloo, there are two highways uh, uh, beside Waterloo. When you go to Marengo and, and we come to Italy, the highways runs just across the battlefield. Ah. So and there is a nice gas station where where Napoleon was located. <laughs> uh, it is different because when I was doing research for for Paper Wars 2.0, I was doing research about scenarios uh, for Memoir 44 because I wanted to speak about uh, to write about Memoir 44, and I found out that there was a scenario actually set up where I am living now. So in this neighborhood, I live in Rome, but not in the center of Rome. It is more on the periphery. But I found out that there was a, a great battle uh, between Italian troops and German troops just after the armistice, because uh, around here there was a, a, an army depot 
with uh, ammo and weapons and materials and the Germans wanted to, to, to get that material and Italian troops on the 9th and 10th of and September 9th, uh, September 10th, 1943 resisted. So uh, actually, uh, what, what I said with Dan and Fred, I don't think that there is just a single square meter of Italy where a battle has not been fought. Yes. This means that we just live inside uh, history, historical places. It is, uh, uh, it is in uh, our blood, our family, our family history. Uh, for example, I, I can you steal my personal story. Uh, I, I am by chance, through my mother, through my mother, I'm the descendant and the direct descendant of General Manuel Belgrano, the, liber the Libertador of Argentina. Uh, uh, incidentally, thank you, Mrs. Thatcher, for having <laughs> sunk that ship. Uh, and uh, through my father, um, I am the descendant of Angelo Mazzini, which was one of the uh, a cavalry officer who died during the Roman Republic of uh, 1849, fighting during the Risorgimento against the French. So thank you, Fred Saval. Uh, <laughs> you know. It is uh, when I said that we have a, a, a closer relation with history. It is not saying that we know history and other peoples are around the world don't know it. It is just that is more personal, and it is an advantage and a disadvantage. The there are two disadvantages that is quite hard to preserve historical places here in Italy and in Europe, because you have a much more dense population, uh, you have uh, industrializations, uh, you have uh, uh, great cities, uh, and etc. And also we are much more subject to personal distortions. Uh, we are much less objective. Uh, when, if, if I have to make, uh, if I had to design a game about Pacific War, well, in, in World War II, I am quite detached from the, from the subject, and this is an advantage, an advantage for my historical research, because there were Americans, there were Japanese. Uh, actually, as an Italian, I've been technically allied to both of them during World War II, but let's not get, let's not digress. <laughs> uh, uh, the fact is, but if I have to, uh, just as Richard Berg did with the archibus, um, with manual iron archibus which was all about the Italian wars. And there was uh, Pavia, Agnadello, uh, these uh, Marignano, these uh, battles uh, this, mm, decided much of our national history. And you know, I know that also for Americans, there are sensitive topics like the War of Independence, uh, the Revolution, uh, American Civil War, etc. But, but we are still dealing as Italians uh, about the Battle of Lepanto. We are really, ah, yeah, we won, we won the Battle of Lepanto. It is still part of our, mostly of our daily lives. The problem is, this is the only mention of politics I will make on this, on this podcast. Sometimes it, it gets back in the public discussion as well. So it is in the public, uh, in the public vision of the events. And, and this is a, actually a problem. It is quite more difficult for us to be, to be good. I, there is no such a thing as an objective historian, but to be good historians. We have more access to direct sources, to material, uh, to witnesses, to places. Yeah, that, that's for sure. But there is also this problem. And this is quite, uh, quite a sensitive problem. It's, a, it's an interesting observation when, you know, I think about liberty or death and, mm. and there is, uh, you know, we've all spent at least a year in the United States in the school system learning about U.S. history. And of course, yeah. several weeks of that U.S. history uh, is, is spent studying, uh, you know, it was my, my teacher was Mr. Smith. So I think about the Mr. Smith's class. And he mm -hmm. um, and and he spent you know probably a month or so on the American Revolution as he skated through American history, and mm -hmm. he, he gave a perspective right and and frankly the American okay. perspective on the American Revolution is very much uh, you know George Washington was superhuman and we ran the British out of the states right out of the colonies but yeah. 
But in reality, that's nothing like how it happened. And, and while I do believe George Washington was superhuman, uh, and I will fight that one to the death, I, I, also, uh, I also know that there was a lot going on in the colonies at the time, and it was a loose confederation. And, and it's, it's extraordinary when you think about where we all started and how we ended up as, as, um, as this big, yeah. big incredible Absolutely. country. It's just, almost a miracle, as you say. That's, that's exactly it. I would say no less than a miracle, and uh, yeah, and and even coming out of the revolution, right? I mean, the the, hist- the it's it's interesting now because historians are starting to take a critical view of the facts, and and we're seeing wonderful new ideas and concepts coming out. But the work, you know, there's still a group, right, that have a very romantic recollection of the American Revolution mm. and don't want me to mess with that. Um, and, yeah. and, you know, they're, they're very angry at, uh, and, you know, I, I, anger is a relative term, but, um, you know, there are some people that spend a great deal of time arguing about the history when in fact, you know, any game is the designer's perspective. And as you said, right, it, it may be biased or unbiased, but, yes. but the, but the designer presents just like an artist presents or just like someone who writes a book or, or directs a movie and they, they present a view. And, um, you, you know, you may not like it. It may be different. It's, it's intended to make you think. And hopefully the game, mm. it, it should be a little bit of fun. But, uh, but I, I w- I've encountered great, uh, great pushback on some of the positions that I take in the game. And I think that's great, right? I think we should talk about it. But, I, you know, I, I, I say all of that only to introduce the fact that there is a wonderful bias, <laughs> Uh, in the United <laughs> States about our own history. And then the Civil War is a much hotter topic. Uh, and, yes. and frankly, only a few generations removed from many of us, right? Um, I had great-grandparents that I met at one point in my life that were alive during the Civil War. Sure. So it's, sure. it's really, um, it, 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 the Civil War touches very much of who we are as a country. So you know, presenting that without bias, especially, you know, game companies that have started to present uh, some of the more controversial issues uh, on emancipation and uh, reformation of the country um, are, are really touching on interesting and new topics that just have been have either been brushed under or are, um, are too controversial to, to talk about historically. Yes, I think that, you know, every nation has its own controversial topic. If you say Great Britain, you have the English Civil War, for example. Uh, France, uh, you have, uh, well, revolution is not quite controversial, but there are many different perspectives on revolution. Bonaparte, Napoleon, uh, uh, it is quite a controversial subject with the simple fact that the French have not yet... uh, accepted that they were the best period in their history was when they were led by an Italian, but that is another, <laughs> another subject. Uh, well, Napoleon was actually an Italian for a year, so uh, <laughs> the family came from Tuscany. So, uh, but however, I know that I, I, I will no longer be able to go to France after this podcast. I know, yes, yes. Uh, but no, no, the problem, the specific problem of Italy is that probably we have not a single historical event that is not controversial in our national memory. Uh, you know, even about Garibaldi, okay? Garibaldi, the great hero, the hero of the two worlds, liberator of Italy. No, there are many people who think that Garibaldi was just an agent of the of the Savoy that he destroyed the the south the the, 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 the southern Italy etc and also many have very controversial ideas about risorgimento one thing that i really loved about liberty of that and and this i'm really i'm actually quite sincere and that is because i will heartedly agree with your uh, with this concept of the author's personal vision as a as a as a fundamental part of a war game because a war game is an historical model made by an author and an, an author has his own vision and interpretation of the events he is representing one thing uh, i was saying uh, one thing i really loved about liberty death was that at last 
we had an American author with American sources, with very good sources, with very good historical research, who was giving another interpretation of the American Revolution. Uh, the American Revolution, the American uh, War of Independence, starting from the title, I noticed that you uh, had on the title the American Insurrection, and that is uh, quite, quite a difference. Uh, that vision was something very different from the user, you know, Mel Gibson, a patriot way <laughs> of, uh, of uh, a patriot guerrillas going uh, hunting for redcoats. Well, it was actually quite the opposite. They, they were the British who were, were hunting yes. for patriots, and they didn't didn't quite find them. The um, the the great role of the French, the greater role of the French, that were not just a sideshow. They were doing their own things. They 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 had a, their own agenda, and that agenda was not the same of the patriot. Not at all. They were still thinking as a colonial power. They were not the good guys who were uh, suddenly uh, fell in love with with the American with the Americans. They wanted their colonies back. They had lost them quite just a few a few years before during the French Indian Wars. And then yes, there were the Indians, the natives. They are a great faction, and it is actually very interesting how you depicted them because yes, they are alive. The, to the British up to a certain point with a certain price. This creates a model, a different model of the uh, American Revolution, of such a pivotal event in all world history, because many things. Oh, uh, thank you for having, uh, uh, I, um, I heard uh, during one of your podcasts, uh, the mention of the Revolutions podcast. I am listening to it now, and it is a great podcast, absolutely. Yes. Um, and that podcast uh, shows just how much the American Revolution was a pivotal event in world, is in, uh, in world history. And so with this different vision, I can agree with some points, disagree with some points, I can analyze, but at last I have another vision. And so my knowledge, my comprehension, my understanding of the events gets enriched, increases. The problem with, with games, that probably this is more a problem for games than with history books, that history books are already targeted to a specialized audience to someone who reads a book because he admits, okay, I do not know everything about this topic. Games are about popular history. Yes. And popular history is totally different from uh, uh, scientific history, from academic history. You are, uh, on, uh, you are almost between uh, an history book and a movie. And so you are on uh, quite another terrain, and it is quite easier to raise some uh, uh, sensibilities because uh, the popular image of an historical event expects you, as a game designer, to treat that event just like what popular history says about that event. But yes, there are biases, and they are, they are a good thing, uh, on I am uh, probably after all this situation will be over uh, at last uh, my new book will be will be published about uh, non-linear political military uh, simulations and uh, uh, the um, the influence of behavioral sciences. Behavioral sciences tells us that yes, there are biases in everything we say, write, do, think, see, perceive. And that is a good thing. That is a, 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 a common thing. It is, it is in everything we create and we see around the world. So, uh, as I said during this conversation, when I uh, find a history book that is in uh, that in his introduction says, okay, this is an objective book. Uh, this is an objective chronicle uh, the, uh, of the events of the facts as they happened. I am, an, as an historian, I am totally neutral. The next thing I do with that book is close it down and throw it away because it is fake. <laughs> it, it, it is a good book by a good historian begins with, okay, these are my ideas. These are my visions. 
and I am going, I am giving you uh, the the material, the arguments that lead you to understand why I came up, I, I followed that vision, that interpretation. You can agree, you cannot agree, just evaluate. This is how I think uh, the history went. Yes. The greatest book have good bibliography and say, okay, I am saying this, but this other, this other historian is saying quite the opposite in this work, just compare the two works. This is how good historical writing works and this is also how good historical game design should work yeah I, I i couldn't agree more thank you for the kind words about liberty or death the um you know you, you i think that you start a, a book and you start a game design with the hypothesis and uh mm -hmm. and and so you create a model around that in the game and as volko reminds us frequently all models are wrong some models are useful and yeah uh, right and, and so i think the idea for Liberty or Death was I wanted to drive home. I finally found a tool, which was Volko's good work in the coin series. I had finally found a tool mm -hmm. to, to say, hey, there were more people at the table than just the Patriots and the British. And, mm. and, and um, you know, he, his, his, his system allowed me to deliver um, at least four factions. And frankly, you know, whenever there's a conflict, there are always more than two parties at the table, right? Mm. There, there could yeah. be a hundred different factions. Um, but, but, you know, going from two to four was, was a big step. So I was excited about that. And then, you know, I, I think most, uh, Americans, because of once again, Ms. Mr. Smith's class in ninth grade, don't recognize <laughs> the fact that there really was a frontier war going on at the same time that of the American yes. revolution, right? I mean, the, 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 the Western border of the colonies was set by the King in 1763 with the proclamation line of 1763 which divvied up by force right divvied up the uh colonies from the indian territory or the native territory and and think about how important that must have been for the king to have had to make um a, a line on a map right i mean that the king yes. doesn't frequently make lines on maps so so uh it, it was important to the to peace uh, with the natives, and it was impo important to peace with the colonists. But the colonists kept pushing and pushing and pushing, and so there was a there was a there was a ten year frontier war that continued after the American Revolution. Um, sure. And 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 then you know to your point on the French, I, I the, the to think that the the, the the arguably the second at least, perhaps the first most powerful country in the world was going to subordinate itself. To a bunch of colonists. Why? Why should they do that? It would, Why? would never happen. And there's a book that I would recommend if you haven't read it, and it's by yeah. Nathaniel Philbrick, who does wonderful okay. work. And it's called In the Hurricane's Eye. And he mm -hmm. talks about um, basically the, the um, build-up to, um, to Yorktown, um, which was... Uh, was really the you know the the end fundamentally the end of the uh, American Revolution, although it yeah. took him a while to paper it right. But but in 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 the book he talks about the relationship with the French between the French and Washington, and it mm -hmm. is clear that they do not agree on much, and Washington uh, generally has to subordinate himself to the desire, and and it's clear that the French are not telling him the truth. And it's clear that they're communicating amongst themselves and not, you know, and not communicating with him. And um, yes. And, and so it, but to imagine that it could have been any other way, right, that the French dropped in and we took them with us is just silly. You know, there was still a colonial power. But this, if, if I can make a, a very broad comparison, if I, you know, if I were to design a game like Liberty or Death about the Risorgimento, the Italian struggle for unification and independence. That has some of some comparisons with the with the American War of Independence. Uh, there were also quite a few a few Americans who fought for the Italian uh, for the Italian uh, during the Italian Risorgimento, and Jesse White Mario and other uh, and mostly great women mostly. Um, you know the one very much sympathy uh, for, for the Italian cause. You know, I will design it with my own 
biases with my own visions, okay? But one of the things that I would stress out that many say, okay, Garibaldi was just a puppet of the Piedmontese after, up, to a, up to a certain point. Garibaldi was about to accept Mazzini's proposal of declaring a dictatorship on the southern Italy after he, he conquered it. He, he didn't follow that way. He already has his, had his own, uh, had his own plan, the relationship between Garibaldi and Mazzini had deteriorated much after Rome, after the 1849, um, so it was actually not possible. But, the, but many during that struggle, during those, uh, those days, uh, actually expected Garibaldi to do that, to say, okay, I conquered Southern Italy, not for the Piedmont, not for, for the Savoy, but for the Italians. That's it. You know who was the first that thought that this was happening? Cavour, the Piedmontese prime minister. He actually <laughs> feared such, such a thing. So when the Piedmontese uh, came uh, south after great victories of Garibaldi, there was the great encounter uh, between Garibaldi and King Victor Emmanuel, where uh, Garibaldi uh, said, Obedisco, I obey. So here is Southern Italy, Your Majesty, here is your new half of your kingdom. Mm, the Piedmontese were ready to fight against, uh, against Garibaldi because uh, they, they they had their own agents uh, in the, in, uh, with the red sheets of Garibaldi, but they were not so sure, and they were ready to fight Garibaldi. Garibaldi made another decision, okay? So, you know, history is much more complicated. Uh, as a game designer, uh, the, great the, mm, the great importance is what you uh, include in your simulation, and also, and probably more, what you keep out of your simulation, what you decided you do not want to simulate because you think uh, that this is wrong or maybe that it uh, can distract from the model, so it is not the focus of your model. And uh, so you are making uh, choices, choices about uh, what to, to what include, what to exclude, uh, how to treat certain uh, certain events. I really appreciate uh, um, something that, um, that Richard Beck did often, and now I've seen that, for, that Volko made the same in Nevsky, um, to include optional rules that say, okay, this is how I see the events, but these historians say that this situation was quite different in this battle, there were those troops or that count actually was in this area uh, during, uh, during that, that year and not the other. Okay, if you prefer this, uh, this vision, this interpretation of the events, here is the optional rule. I don't think that, they, that things went that way, but if you want, you can play it that way and see. Uh, Richard Bag made made these many times with the great battles, great battles of history and Man of Iron. Uh, I think in uh, Bannockburn uh, or Agincourt. Well, in, in that series there are there are scenarios with uh, two or three possible variants. So uh, it is uh, quite interesting, and this uh, creates uh, a dynamic model because war games and simulation are not state static models. I often say, I often like to say, they do, they do not deal with the actual facts. They deal with actual dynamics. That is cause and consequence that led to those facts. Uh, Trevor Bender wrote some very good articles on C3I magazine on how war games can be a tool for a counterfactual history. I remember there was a scenario for a Normandy 44 disaster at D-Day and other scenarios like that. And we did the work about, uh, about counterfactual history in the, military, in the Italian Military History Society uh, with our uh, 2016 annual. It was called The Future Wars. It was all about counterfactual history. That is uh, a strict scientific analysis of what could have happened happened, but it didn't happen, why it didn't happen, and uh, by analyzing uh, what it didn't happen, we can discover more about what it actually happened. Uh, there are many possible timelines. 
what we call uh, uh, the factual timeline is actually just our timeline, but there are many possible different timelines. And only by analyzing all of them, something which simulation and war games in general are really great, and only by analyzing all of them, we can really understand what happened, because we can really see the historical dynamics in all the possibilities, not just what happened in one instance, but many, many parallel and different instances. This is one of the greatest fascinations I have with, uh, with war games and historical simulation uh, in general. And that is really great, and that is why- Hey gang, Harold again. Well, what is it they say about the best laid plans of mice and men? Well, I was recording, and Ricardo was speaking, and my battery died in my recorder. Now, I didn't notice it for about 10 minutes. Ricardo was on a roll. I didn't want to interrupt him. So what you've got here is a transition that I'll make mid-discussion. Uh, and at this point, Ricardo and I start to discuss the term war game. And you cannot, uh, he, he spoke about two unsavory terms in war game. One of them was war, for ethical reason, and the other was game. Because many, if you say game, they think, okay, this is not serious. We have to use uh, simulation, because simulation, you know, it is much more serious than game. But I think that simulation and game are actually in, in, in this context, they are actually synonyms. They are just the same thing. Because if a war game is not playable, uh, then it is not a game. Then it is not a war game. It is, it is a chain of, uh, of events. What is uh, the trade-off? You, you were speaking about a trade-off. Um, we are not, uh, we're not dealing with uh, abstract games. We are not dealing with Euro games where mechanics dominate over content. In simulation, it is actually the opposite. Content dominates over mechanics, over game mechanics. So the setting, the simulation, the, the, the events, the chrome. Fred made a great series and really it is fantastic in his, in his own channel, Homo Ludens, and that series is called Wargamology and all about that, uh, that subject. So, um, games, uh, then war games must be games and games must be fun. And the fun comes from uh, content, from the interest in your topic that uh, allows you to use much more complex uh, rule books. Uh, and uh, I've played the Euro games where I was not really interested in that had eight pages of rules that were quite much, much harder for me because I had no, no interest in them than war games where who had 15, 16 or 20 pages of rules because I actually had no interest. The problem is that especially I think in the 80s, but not just then, uh, the, the hyper-specialization of the public was more, less general, more specialized. Um, brought the notion that a war game has to be complicated to be valid. My dear friend Andrea Angiolino, and he is the author of Wings of Glory and Says of Glory, uh, often uh, speaks about hidden complexity. So uh, mechanics that seem very easy, seem very intuitive, but that have much, much deep content in them. Just think about the maneuver cards in the Winds of Glory and the decks of, the decks of each single plane has different characteristic, uh, characteristics representing the features of that plane, how that plane flies and fights. And, but as a player, you do not see any complication. You just have that cards and use those cards. So a Fokker uh, steers better in one direction than the other. You do not know why. There is a rotative engine, but uh, and the features of the rotative engines are given through the cards. Uh, we were talking about examples. Combat Commander is a great example of that. The different characteristics of each nation's deck within the cards, the card composition and the, the different orders and the events 
gives you a great characterization of each army, but you do not have more rules, you do not have other layers of rules. Hidden complexity, uh, that is uh, mechanics that seem easy but have much deep content beneath them, all of you actually to add other dimensions to, to games. And this is especially true when we deal with the political military simulations, uh, coins, etc. They actually seem very simple, but when you go and play them, you, you, you see that they are much more elaborate than what they seem. And this is where the real fun is, because they are fun, they are engaging, because they are easy to use, you are not distracted by rule 14.1.5, etc. You just have your rules. You use them because you are using rules not for the use themselves, but to deal with a specific situation. Uh, to, to conclude, uh, Leonardo da Vinci, another Italian, uh, said that la semplicità è la più alta forma di sofisticazione. Simplicity is the highest form of sophistication. So there is no opposition between fun and good historical representation. Actually, a good game is, the best game is very simple. Just think about Undaunted Normandy. Uh, it is very simple, just a few rules, but inside that rules, inside the deck building element of Undaunted, you have things like the degradation of the chain of command during, uh, during the, the fight, uh, the importance of different troops specialization, and, uh, and, many other, and, and many other hidden aspects of, of warfare. But you have very simple rules. So the best, the best game, the best historical game is the one that gives you uh, a precise, a correct, a valid, not, not necessarily complete, but a valid representation of events. But it is also simple, playable, mm, not too simple, but with, with the right balance. And so simplicity becomes not an obstacle to historical uh, uh, completeness of a simulation, it becomes a tool to give you a more precise, a more engaging representation of historical events. As I often said, when, uh, when General Lee ordered Pickett's charge, he had no CRTs in his hands. He just said, General Pickett, you have your men and go that way. I think that the, 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 the Union line is breaking just go that way with your man. I give you this uh, this time of bombardment. He didn't say, "Okay, it is a three to one ratio," but we have before we have 18 points of artillery firing at that point of the Union line. So we have the 27 percent uh, probability of breaking that line. He never had that. It was not fought that way. They are fought with uh, rational uh, decisions, with calculations, with calculated risks, but you cannot calculate risk with precision, with mathematical precision during uh, actual fight, during actual combat. There is friction and there is, uh, yes, there is mathematics involved, but it is not just numerical mathematics. There are other factors that you have to, to evaluate in, uh, in the equation. There are psychological aspects, uh, morale, uh, cultural aspects, uh, what, uh, what was uh, events uh, on, the, on the commander's lives, uh, on the commander's personal lives. If he hated that single commander, the single enemy commander, of that, or if that, if that single enemy commander was uh, one of his friends during a civil war, this is what uh, uh, this is what determines outcome. So all of this is not directly um, accountable in a simulation. There must be other ways. Yeah, I, you know, um, it, it, to, to Leonardo da Vinci's point, uh, the, the having you know, and and working on a game that I intentionally am trying to make simple, uh, the simple is much harder than the complex. And, um, and, and I think it's, you know, it's, it's very easy to create a highly complex fiddly game. And I know that some people like that, but, but I think that the, the real challenge to your point is that, um, 
the simplicity reflective of a of a situation or a model is really the the wonderful gift right the the chad jensen's gift in combat commander is yeah. is yeah. the simplicity and and um and, and how interesting that is in such in such in an area that can be as complex as we know advanced squad leader is right so you have an option you could go that complex if you wanted to yeah you have you have those two models and they are both valid but they're also both very different from each other yes absolutely well i i can't i can't close without without getting you to tell me a couple of things that you've got on the table that you've enjoyed oh okay 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 uh right so yes Combat Commander. Now I am dealing with the second edition of Peloponnesian War by Mark Hammond because I loved that game when I was uh, when I was uh, a kid in the first edition, in the first Victory Games edition. Now the latest edition is actually great. I have uh, a play. Actually, I am actually playing now with some of my friends with uh, um, distance uh, Churchill. Also by also by Mark Hammond. So you see, I really like political military simulations and uh, also some of the latest folios by Decision Games, the ones about the, the Normandy landings. They're actually very nice. And I am expecting the new Multiman Publishing SCS, SCS uh, titles about. Uh, uh, World War Three because uh, I already I was a baker for um, the um, storming the gap World at War um, from uh, Lock and Load Games and I think it was a, a great system I really really loved the nations uh, the, the the nations at war uh, system um, these are games of different complexity low to middle complexity i really liked the, the your interview with uh, your discussion with jason matthews uh, when uh, when jason uh, told the the usual argument uh, okay nice game but it is not complex it is too simple so it is not a war game is an exclusionary uh, argument something to exclude games uh, I really don't agree with that vision. I think that uh, if a game is fun, if a game gives you a good historical representation of events, right, play it. Uh, and games are not points of arrival in your discovery of history. They are starting points. You play a game, you get curious about a, uh, a topic, uh, no game can give you an exact, precise representation uh, just as there are so many books, different books about the same event, there are so many different games about the same event. Just play a game, it is fun, it is nice, it is a starting point, and then go read some books about the events. This is how you can use games uh, as uh, tools for uh, your uh, cultural growth, for your knowledge and your awareness of, of historical events. Yes, absolutely. Well, Ricardo, that's a great place for us to stop. So much more to talk about. Yeah. Uh, but I appreciate you taking the time, and I hope that uh, you and your family are safe and healthy and, and continue to through this uh, crazy time. Yeah, yeah, they're fine. They're fine, thanks. And we plan on uh, keeping me that way. <laughs> and also, and, uh, and also uh, good health to, to you too and to all, all of our listeners. And uh, uh, there have been uh, complicated moments in, in world history, but uh, we're still here. We, and so we go on and, and there, will be, there will be better times, surely.